Blog Talk Radio. Jean-Luc Jordy Specs, mysteries on the holodecks, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic betazoids, transporter, deadly claw, visitor from L.A. law, photons, no Kirk, captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, console Troy, Dr. Crush's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Quike is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the world. With that theme song, that means it's time for another awesome episode of Trek Talking. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and we have a very special show planned for you tonight. But before we get to that, I want to introduce my co-host. We'll start out with Charles. He's out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Mother Nature still doesn't want to quit. We're still seeing 90. I think by the weekend I might actually see 80. Maybe. We, well, you you want to hear something absolutely incredible? It was 81 degrees here in Vermont, which is completely unheard of for this time. I'm sitting here with my windows open uh, without the heat on or anything, which is unheard of in Vermont for this time of the year. So, yeah, Mother Nature (laughs) took a hard left (laughs) to quote quote Voyage or Discovery. And uh, we also have with us Eric. Eric is out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing pretty well. Uh, it is actually quite nice here. It's about 60 degrees Fahrenheit and uh, sunny, just kind of a perfect fall day. It's kind of one of those days that makes you just want to go out and take a walk. I think I might do that after the podcast. Yeah, it, it is walk. a very nice night. No, I had I had to go to bed after that discovery thing last night. I didn't get to bed until 1030, quarter to 11, and I had to get up at 5 and work all day. So I'm kind of I'm spent. I'm going to go to bed as soon as we're done here. <laughs> So, but anyways, guys, <laughs> <laughs> but it was worth it. It was worth it. Every minute of it. Of uh, we have a great show planned for you guys tonight. We're going to do the show a little bit backwards from what we usually do. And that's because we have a very special um, guest with us in the studio here tonight. We have Ben Robinson. And Ben is mostly known as that Eagle Moth guy. If you guys have any of the Eagle Moth Star Trek collection, then you know Ben's work. And Ben's going to be talking with us tonight about Eagle Moss and working with Eagle Moss. And um, maybe we're going to see the Lost Serena. Maybe we'll see the Cerritos. I don't know. We can ask him. You can also call and ask him yourself. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. That's 646-668-2433. But wait, there's more. Ben hasn't just worked on Eagle Moss. Ben has done a ton of work in the world of Star Trek. He worked on the U.S. Star Trek magazine, uh, which ran from 1999 to 2003. I subscribed to that when it used to be in print. It was an awesome magazine. And he's also worked on two of the Haynes manuals, one of them which featured the seven Enterprise ships, and another one which I own, which is the prize of my collection, is all about the Klingon Bird of Prey. And I'm definitely going to talk about that one as well. 
So we're going to have a lot to talk about with Ben. So please, if you have your questions or comments, you want to call and tell him how great and how awesome the Eagle Moss stuff is, please give us a call at 646-668-2433, and we'll get you right on the air. And uh, Ben also has some brand-new books that are going to be coming out very, very soon, and we're going to be talking about those as well. So we have a lot going on. Because Ben is coming to us live from the U.K., we're going to flip the show around a little bit. So we're going to start at the, at the top and work our way to the bottom instead of the way we usually do it. So that's why we're backwards. But as soon as we, we get done with Ben so he can get off to bed, our show isn't over there. We still have some Star Trek news to cover. We still have fan shout-outs. We still have Star Trek birthday. And guess what? Trek at these breeds. experience with guys so six two two, one thing that I if you don't mind maybe Jim you're breaking up on us Uh, yes Jim yeah, it sounds like Jim has been breaking up a little bit here, but that's okay because we'll get his internet connection sorted out. And I think that we are to the numbers from around the globe. So let's talk about those. As everybody knows, we broadcast from the United States. So about 76% of our listeners are from the U.S. But this week we have a brand new number one in the uh, international uh, running. We have Australia coming in with 4.39% of our listeners. So how about that, guys? Uh, Australia has come from uh, way down uh, below the number five spot and now holds the number one spot of our international listeners. So thanks very much, folks from Down Under. Uh, Also, 3.63% of our listeners come from the UK. In the number three spot, we have 3.56% of our listeners who come from Ireland, Uh, Norway, Actually, the dark horse that came in months ago uh, is still moving up a little bit here. So now Norway's in the number four spot with 2.35% of our listeners. And Canada is still holding on to the number five spot with 2.07% of our listeners. So thank you so much to all of our international listeners. And uh, it's fantastic to have you along for the ride. Thank you very much. Uh, Jim, are you there with us? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, now you stabilized a little bit. Well, it's very windy here in Vermont, so that might be the problem with my cell phone. The direct connect That's what you get when it's live, right, folks. So. That's true. If my dog runs in or my cat jumps on my headset, you're going to know. So, guys, we're going to talk to Ben Robinson. We're going to start the show off backwards. Usually we do our – we save the best for last. We're flipping that around. So with us right now on the line, we have Ben Robinson. He's calling in live from the U.K. How are you doing tonight, Ben? I'm pretty good. I'm awake. I'm happy. Can't ask for much more. <laughs> well, we're, we're, very, we're very, very happy to have you with us. Thank you for taking time out of your day to do some Trek talking with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure. I always like talking about Star Trek. So let's start off with your Eagle Moss. 
Star Trek collection. How did you get involved in that? Where did that idea come from? Oh, um, it's a long time ago now. Um, we in a galaxy looked... far, far away. <laughs> no, no, not very <laughs> far away at all from me. Just down the road. Um, we um, we make a, a collections basically of all sorts of different things. Um, we did. Uh, if, if Americans know about it, we did a thing called the Star Trek Fact Files way back when, which was like memory alpha on paper. Uh, it's like a massive book that you used to buy 32 pages a week. Um, but we did lots of other stuff. We did trading cards. We did uh, figurine collections. And we looked at doing a Star Trek figurine collection. Uh, and it didn't really work out. But as we were doing it, we realized that what we should really be doing was ships. Um, and uh, so it got on the list of things that we should look at. Um, and I knew a lot of the VFX guys. Um, so I was able to get the original models from them, which meant that the ships could be as accurate as we could possibly make them, which was always a problem with figurines of people, because you realize that people don't even look the same from uh, one minute to the next, even though you think they do. Um, so it seemed great. We could make them accurate. And then we launched it and we thought we'd probably do 60. Um, and I think we've just sort of done 180 um, plus all the other stuff we did. Um, something like 250. So, and we're still going strong actually. So that's, that's the short version of it. Wow. And what, what exactly, as far as Eagle Moss goes, what part of the production are you involved in? I'm basically responsible for it. So um, I pick the ships that we're going to do. Um, I source, what we do is I say we work from the original visual effects models. So I, I source those, um, talk to all the VFX guys to get them because you'd think that CBS would have copies of them, but they don't. Um, and then we send those to the factory. The factory sends back a slightly different 3D model that we look at and decide whether it's right or not. Um, then we brief out the painting to them. Uh, they send us painted samples. We make changes. We send it back. They send us another one. We make changes again. They send it back. Um, and then when it's finally all right, we approve it. So I guess for the first 120 or so, I did absolutely everything myself. And then, because I look after a lot of other stuff, I've brought some other people in to help me. What about the booklets that come along with the ships? Do you write those as well? Yeah, my spare time. <laughs> yeah, I wrote... Um, I, I, again, I, I wrote quite a lot of them I, um, in the beginning. And again, now I, I don't really have enough time to do it myself. I'd still do some things that I particularly uh, care about. Um, a couple of different people so either Marcus Riley or Mark Wright have written the kind of uh, the ship profile bits that come at the front but um, I've made a big point of doing a lot of the designing Starships side of it myself so I still dip in and do a few of those I can't do all of them anymore but that, that's been my big thing Now are, do you just work on the Star Trek Eagle Moths or do you work on like the Battlestar Galactica and the other Eagle Moth starships are strictly Star Trek. No, no, I'm, I'm responsible for the whole lot. Um, <laughs> that's why I don't have much spare time. So uh, we do, I mean, in terms of ships, we do uh, the Orville, 
Galactica, Alien. Uh, we just announced we got the license to do The Expanse uh, and Stargate. Um, there are other things that we haven't announced. I'm trying to remember what we have and haven't announced. There's more coming. Uh, but we also do figurines. We do, we've got a massive Doctor Who figurine collection. We've got a Marvel collection, uh, just a metal version of which has just launched in the States. Uh, we've got some DC stuff coming back. Um, we do massive build-up cars. We do a, a build-up DeLorean um, and a build-up 8 to 1 from Ghostbusters. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty busy. Wow. I, I Wow. <laughs> I guess you are busy. <laughs> oh, and we do, and we publish books as well. Uh, so yeah, we've got a range of Star Trek books. We've just done a Ghostbusters book. Um, so a couple of beautiful Bond books we've got coming out when the movie comes out um, that keeps being postponed. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty busy. Let me ask you a question, Ben. Speaking of Bond, this has nothing to do with Star Trek. Who's your favorite Bond actor? Oh, well, for, for many, many years, the only answer to that question was Sean Connery. Uh, but actually, yeah. I think Daniel Craig is, is kind of up there. I think he, he kind of uh, rivals him. Um, I guess probably Scott Connery for me. I think Goldfinger is like a perfect film, actually. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm Roger Moore, Sean Connery-ish time, but I, I think... I think Sean Connery edges out Roger Moore just a little bit. Yeah, the, bit. the most extraordinary thing you will ever, if anyone wants to be amazed, um, Google Ross Kananga uh, Crocodile Jump. Uh, it's from um, Live and Let Die. And there's the bit when he runs across the crocodiles in the, in the water. And the guy actually did it for real. Guy Ross Kananga, who owned, owned the crocodile park. And the, there's footage of all the different takes of him uh, running across these crocodiles. And they keep, like, he takes him quite a long time to get it right. And they're like trying to eat his feet by the end of it. There's one of them's got like a shoe around his mouth. It's, um, yeah, I mean, Bond is, <laughs> Bond is a different world. You know, they do so much stuff for real. Yeah, I just, you, you brought up James Bond. I just, I had to ask that question, e- even though it's not Star <laughs> Trek related. I just, I had to throw that out there. <laughs> So, in, in the Star Trek Eagle Moss collection, what what ship did you? What was the one that you were the most excited to work on? Which was your favorite one to do? Um, well, there are so many. There are different reasons. Um, the happiest I have ever been doing this collection is when I saw our model of the original series Enterprise. Um, we uh, the most extraordinary thing about that was that we got the color. 100% right. Um, now, I'm, I'm, this is shameful because I'm blanking on the guy's name, but there is a, an, an absolute expert on the original series, Enterprise. He works on the Enterprise restoration product for the Smithsonian. Uh, and he provided us with, uh, the, you know, his careful analysis of the color and the exact pattern of the windows and all of that stuff. Um, and as a result, you just, just got it out of the box the first time you just look at it and go, oh, my God. That is right. Um, and it's enormously satisfying. Um, a couple of the highlights, I guess the Akira. No one had ever done a model of the Akira before, which is crazy. Um, and I think I always think that the Reliant turned out to be one of the best models we ever did as well. 
Yeah. That that let me ask you another question though. Have you ever been to the Smithsonian Institute to actually see the enterprise itself all lit up in all its glory? I have not. Um I am it's on the, my my bucket list. Um I would I would love to uh, to go. Uh, it's it's uh, yeah definitely one of my kind of wish list things. It's it's pretty cool. How about in my own neck of the woods? Have you ever been up to the Star Trek original set tour in Ticonderoga? Oh, again, I have a standing invitation uh, from those guys to go. Um, we talked to them a fair bit. Uh, talked to James, and I I am desperate to go, um, but I have not yet been. No. The closest I have come to original series sets was uh, I used to know Matt Jeffries fairly well, and he still had his like uh, study model of the sets that he made for the directors to show people how they were laid out. Uh, so that's the closest I've got. It's like a little cardboard model that's about two feet wide. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, the the Ticonderoga is is definitely not a cardboard model, and mm. uh, I was I was blown away when we stepped on. To the bri- onto the, not only the bridge but the ship itself. They have engineering. They have sick bay. They have the captain's ready room. They have the cafeteria, the transporter room, the engine room, the bridge, all the hallways, everything. Um, it's phenomenal. It really is something to visit. I have, uh, Just don't look up. <laughs> I have. Uh, well, uh, what I did visit. Um, I did visit. I sat in um, Cisco's chair. Um, about a week before it was torn down, I was there when they were taking down the Deep Space Nine set. And the promenade, oh my God, that set. I mean, you could look up, you could look down, you could look left and right. The whole thing was just absolutely real. It was extraordinary. Uh, and then again on Voyager, that, those those sets had ceilings. You know, so you were walking down a corridor, you, you are walking down a corridor on a starship. It was just amazing. Now, now, why do they destroy all those all those great iconic things? Why don't they donate them or do something with them besides just destroying them? It doesn't well, make any sense. They do put a lot of stuff in storage, uh, but storage is expensive. And also, particularly, that Deep Space Nine set was enormous. I mean, it was like a mall. I mean, it was a mall. Um, so, you know, there wouldn't have been many spaces that were big enough to put it back up. Um, and, I mean, movie sets are a kind of weird uh, combination of temporary. that You know, they're made of plywood, uh, painted to look like something more interesting. Uh, but on the other hand, they stand for seven years. So, you know, they're not really designed to be taken apart and put back together again. Not that much, anyway. True. True, but the captain's chair—that would be nice. Oh, I'm sure someone's got the chair. I'm sure. I'm sure the chair is somewhere, or someone uh, either they auctioned it off, or it still gets still gets wheeled out every now and again for things. They used to use um, a lot of props from uh, the Ten Commandments on Star Trek because that had been a Paramount film, and a lot of the stuff from it looked kind of suitably alien. So if you really, really know your movie props, you would be able to spot like, oh, that's from. Uh, Ten Commandments. Well, you know, speaking of movie props, uh, back in the early 90s, there was a Star Trek um, traveling exhibit that stopped at the Smithsonian Institute when they put the Enterprise there. And they had Captain Kirk's chair and they had McCoy's mm-hmm. scanner. And McCoy's scanner was just a salt shaker. Yeah, well, originally and, they uh, bought it to be salt shaker. You know this? 
But um, in, you know, the first episode um, with the salt monster, the M113 salt monster, they wanted to, they, there's a whole, a very important plot point when she sees the salt. Uh, so they went out and bought these futuristic salt shakers and then they looked at them and thought, they don't look like salt shakers, no one will know what they are. So they turned them into medical instruments. But you know what? <laughs> when you watch it on the show, it's, you believe that McCoy is actually waving a scanner and not a salt shaker. <laughs> you just, absolutely. You just it. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, absolutely. I know, but when, when you see it in person, you're like, wow. And the, and the Klingon belt buckles are, were just gold painted bubble wrap. But they look yeah. so good on TV. <laughs> yeah, the magic the of magic TV. The magic of Hollywood. Knowing what you can uh, really what you can make something pass it off for is is an extraordinary skill, but yeah, it it is. If if we if we as the audience buy into it, we're hooked. I'll tell you some crazy things. I I just did a book with Dan Curry. Dan's a really good friend of mine. Um, he's a visual effects producer for all of Star Trek, all modern Star Trek, um, the Berman era stuff, and uh, the 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 sort of seeding surface of the sun that's oatmeal being vibrated on a light table <laughs> that's funny that's classic Dan. yeah he keeps sending me pictures wow. they keep doing these like nasa pictures of the sun because it looks like oatmeal like yeah okay dan yeah it does <laughs> but but we believed it though when we saw it on the show we thought it mm-hmm. we believed it we bought we bought into it it looked that good no, absolutely. I mean, it's wow. Dan's, I mean, Dan's got this extraordinary ability to look at something and see it as something else. You know, I would never look at the surface of the sun and think, yeah, that would be like oatmeal with a bit of light shone behind it. But Dan, he goes, yeah, and he's absolutely right. It looks just like the sun. I, I never, you know what, tomorrow morning when I have my oatmeal, I'm going to look at it in a different light. <laughs> You have to vibrate it and shine a very strong light behind it, and then colorize it in a video editing suite. Um, that's, Dan's, that's Dan's ability is to be able to look at it and go, yeah, if I did this. Wow, that, that's creative. That's very, very creative. I, wow. But I still love it, though. I'll, I'll take the orange vibrating oatmeal as the surface of the sun <laughs> any day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll ruin it for everybody now. <laughs> so anyways, listen guys, our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We're here with Ben Robinson and we're going to be talking about oh, a lot of great stuff after we take our first break. We're going to be talking about the Hayes manuals, about the Enterprise, the Klingon bird of prey as well. And we're going to open it up to questions and I'm sure that Charles and Eric have some things they want to ask Ben because I've hogged him up enough. I have to turn the show over to my co-host so they can get a word in edgewise. You guys don't want to hear me talking the whole time, do you? Okay, maybe. No. But anyway. No. <laughs> Old senile Uncle Jim babbling on. Okay. So when we get back from our commercial break, okay. yeah, I do this from time to time. <laughs> but we're going to hear from my good friends at Freakopolis Geekery and our my good friend TJ. And when we come back from this commercial break, I'm going to turn the show over to Eric and uh, Charles, and they're going to talk to Ben. And if you guys have any questions, please give us a call at 646-668-2433, and we'll get you right on the air with Ben Robinson 
the evil moss guy. Don't touch that <laughs> dial. <forever. laughs> don't touch that dial. Run. Don't walk to the refrigerator. Get something to drink and come right back because we'll be back after this quick message. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team's Hero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing Ship-to-Ship Tactical Combat for the Tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to Freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And we're back. We're talking with Ben Robinson from Eagle Moss, amongst other things. And I'm going to turn the show over right now to Eric. Eric, do you have any questions you'd like to ask Ben? Yeah, you better believe it. Thanks for being with us, Ben. I wanted to talk a little bit about one of your other uh, Eagle Moss collections. Uh, You know, one of the things we do on the podcast, uh, other than talking to folks like yourself or just generally talking about Star Trek, is we also review Star Trek books and comics. And, uh, of course, one of the Eagle Moss collections that's out there is the Star Trek graphic novel collection, which honestly is the one that probably appeals to me even more than the completely awesome models that you guys also (laughs) think. But uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that collection and just, um, you know, how are the comics chosen for that? I understand that, uh, you know, I've got one issue myself. I just kind of just got started and uh, I understand it's a pretty wide range of stuff that's included in there. So I wanted to just talk about that a little bit. Well, the, yeah, the, the choosing wasn't that difficult because the goal was to do everything. So mm-hmm. um, I'm afraid we've fallen just short. I'm very sorry about this, but the sales aren't quite enough to justify it going to the full extent. So we've done 140 volumes. Um, Rich Handley is the, uh, the editor of it's after. He is the most knowledgeable man about Star Trek comics in the world uh, by some way. Um, so, yeah, so we basically, it's, it's, it's almost everything. Um, and it was a case of just trying to picking the order in which we released it, really, more than anything else. And that's it's like you try and juggle. So it's like, oh, here are some Marvel ones. Here are some DC ones. Uh, here's a bit of IDW stuff, because obviously there's a lot of that. Yeah, was it just mixing those things up and kind of, uh, you know, just to get variety, or did you have kind of a a specific mission with regards to the, the order in which they're released? Uh, well, we tried to release them sequentially within the different runs. Uh, we tried to sort of juggle the runs around a little bit so that you would, if you didn't care for Deep Space Nine, for example, and there was like a, or you didn't like Wild Storm or whatever, um, then you would get something else the next the next issue. Um, so you, yeah, you try and keep it. It's the same with the ships. You just try and keep it interesting for people. And uh, you know, if if there's something that people really don't like, you try not to give it to them again and again in succession. Mm-hmm. We also kind of uh, talk about some of the other ones. I think aren't there collections for both Doctor Who and Planet of the Apes as well? Uh, yeah. Well, the Doctor Who stuff. 
there are outside of America, there's this big, big kind of thing of continuity series. So it's like a massive collection. You sign up at the beginning and then you stay with it for years. So um, we've done for Doctor Who. There's never been a graphic novel one. Um, there was one uh, which a guy who works for me, John Ainsworth, worked on, which was like a complete history of Doctor Who with every episode examined in great depth. But we've done, uh, we did trading cards, uh, DVDs, and now we're doing figurines. So like we've got a figurine collection that's got like over 200 uh, Doctor Who figurines. That's fantastic. Who's your favorite doctor? Oh, um, I'm a man of a certain age, so I'd have to say Tom Baker. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep, that's, that's mine. <laughs> I, uh, we started doing Absolutely. it uh, when David Tennant had just just taken the role and uh he was i met david before before an episode had been broadcast um and he was so excited to see that he had a trading card um yeah that <laughs> was a good moment it was nice walk on the tardis meet the doctor all in the same day was not a bad day uh, that sounds like a pretty good day absolutely uh, well, you know, one of the other things from kind of much further back, I can't believe it's been 20 years at this point, but uh, the sort of pretty famous, I think, uh, shifts of the line calendars um, from 2000 and 2001, you you had a hand in those as well, right? Well, sort of, indirectly. So um, what happened was that we started commissioning um, CG artwork of the ships from... Rob Bonchoon and Mojo, Adam Mojo Lebovitz, who were CG artists at Foundation Imaging. And because they were doing images for us, they then had the idea of going off and doing the calendar. So they did the Ships of the Line calendar and then before Doug Drexler took it over. So I, I've never actually commissioned an, an image from Ships of the Line calendar, but it would never have happened if we hadn't been uh, commissioning images from those guys. Well, I have to tell you that those were absolutely a driver in my kind of falling in love uh, with Star Trek because they were just so beautiful. The artwork was so amazing in those. Yeah, I mean, it's an extraordinary thing about CG was that, you know, you could all of a sudden, you know, I mean, we now have, I mean, we do these books that um, catalog, I call it James Fighting Chips of Star Trek. It's called uh, Starfleet, Starship, Starfleet Chipyards. Uh, though actually we do it for Battlestar Galactica as well. And it's just like, because you've got the models, you can just put them together and you can put them in extraordinary scenes and, you know, create amazing images. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. And I think we, at this point we take it for granted because we're so used to that kind of level of detail, but mm. you know, you look at some of these newer shows and the, the detail uh, that they have to render uh, on a, you know, for a 4k television is, is really stunning. Uh so, yeah, it's amazing. So uh, I guess one of the other things that I kind of wanted to talk about, you were talking about how the uh, the old uh, the British Star Trek fact files were um, kind of the Wikipedia <laughs> book of the, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, before there was memory alpha. <laughs> um, they were kind of the way to get your information. And, yeah, I think a lot of those issues dealt with, um, you know, either individual races or individual uh cultures and that type of thing to kind of clue you into what was going on in the Star Trek universe. What, uh, what was that like? I mean, I, I, as I understand, I've, I've never actually had a chance to really read one before. They included both canon information and then some information that 
uh, that may have been kind of on the side? I don't know. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I'd be interested to know more. Well, they were pretty much canon. Um, we we stretched a point occasionally. So um, there's a few things in the animated series, so particularly in Yesteryear, where Spock's talking about his past, and because it was written by Dorothy Fontana, we kind of, and because, you know, people like Ron Moore would reference it in episodes like Sarek. Um, so we, we included that, and I think we had some stuff that was, we used stuff from the technical manuals, which I guess are, you know, borderline canon, um, and uh, Jerry Taylor's novels, um, uh, Mosaic and Pathways. So, but everything else was pretty much canon. We used to sit there. I mean, I, I, I was literally employed to watch Star Trek. Um, mm. We'd sit there, watch eight hours a day, just like watching episodes. Back when I was on VHS, I used to dream of having every episode just available to me like I do now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'd be like, oh, okay, Andorians are in. Journey to Babel. Let's see everything we can get. Let's watch that. every single fact there is about Andorians and write that down and then create an article out of it. Um, wow. So that was that was basically what we were doing. So it was like Memory Alpha. It's just that there were a, a team of us doing it professionally for six years. I can't believe that they pay people to do that. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe the things they've paid me to do. Um, <laughs> so what yeah. is your favorite? What is your favorite alien race from Star Trek? Do you have one that you kind of have an affinity for? Oh, oh, no, you know, you changed the question. You said, well, it was going to be my favorite race. And then it's like, do I have an affinity oh, for them? Yeah. Which is well, a judgment well, call. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I, I was going to say, I really like the Vulcans. Um, ah. I was just, you know, I think uh, Brian, Brian Fuller said to me that, you know, one of the genesis for Michael Burnham was the idea of Amanda. It was like, um, you know, Spock's mother. Was, what would it mean to be a human living on Vulcan? Uh, and I think that's a really interesting question. Um, also, I have very sentimentally, the very first Star Trek interview I did was with Leonard Nimoy, which was, um, which was another very good day. Um, and uh, he said to me, uh, Spock was so human, and that's what made him so compelling. And I think that's very true. Um, so yeah, Vulcans would be my, you know, my favorite race. Uh, as for one I feel an affinity with, you see, because I, I don't feel like I'm the unemotional, completely controlled guy. Um, but neither am I a Klingon or a Romulan. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who I have the most affinity with. Probably humans. I'd like to oh. Yeah, they, they, uh, they seem to ring true for most of us, I guess. <laughs> Well, uh, I don't want to hog up all the time. Yeah, most of us, most of the time. Well, I don't want to hog up all the time either. Charles, would you like to uh, give give Ben the work over here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, definitely. Definitely want to get in the conversation. Well, I can definitely say I'm very familiar with Eagle Moth. As I get a package in the mail about every month or so of my next set of Star Trek ships, I'm always curious to see what I'm getting next. What are you getting so, next? I can tell you, you're getting Picard next. Um, that we've got, uh, we we have been doing a series of discovery ships, um, and because we 
overtook the number of ships that were available from the first two seasons. Though there are remarkably large number of ships in the first two seasons. So we're relaunching a new collection. We still haven't kind of worked out what the name is yet. Uh, that will include Picard, uh, season three of Discovery, and uh, season one of Strange New World. At least season one, if not season two, assuming there is a season two. So uh, wow. yeah, we've already seen La Serena. Um, and the Romulan Bird of Prey, the kind of fancy new old Romulan Bird of Prey, um, and Seven of Nine's Fenris Ranger ship, uh, and the Zhang Hei. Those are the ones that we've announced so far, so those are the first four. Uh, I'm still actually working on the original collection of ships. Yeah, there are quite a few of them. <laughs> yeah, I, every time I turn around, I like, yep, there's more coming in. <laughs> one of them that I think really you sort of mentioned was a big hit for some of us was you said the recent hero collectors set of all of the Starfleet ships all of the Klingon ships and that to me for a reference book those those were those are great reference books they can even pair these ships I say in, in each section. I love how we went in and said, okay, we talked about all these ships in this time period. Now let's put them all in a picture and show them comparative in size. And that so was the, just fascinating to see all those together. Scale is a really interesting thing. So one of the one of our fans is, makes and keeps this beautiful chart a guy called Colin Murray. And he makes this uh, this vast poster that has all of the ships in scale with one another, um, and it, it it is a very big poster. Um, and some things you have to sort of you know break out and say this isn't this isn't in scale. I mean, you talk about Klingon ships, the, the bird of prey. I mean, the bird of prey changes size every time you see it. Um, we had to when I was doing the Haynes manual had to come up with an explanation for how come the Boat of Prey is always a different size we're like yeah Klingons just have one designer ship they just scale it up or down <laughs> I like that well you mentioned that we're get, we're going to finally getting stuff from Picard what about the possibility getting something from Lower Deck yeah wow Doritos is a nice looking ship it is a nice looking ship. It is a nice looking ship, and I have had conversations. Um, and Mike McMahon would be very happy. Um, there are a few legal bits and pieces to iron out before I can uh, I can say anything. Um, but I think you know I can say that we very much like to do every ship that's ever appeared in Star Trek. So certainly all the major ones. Uh, I just can't say more than I would really like to do it at the moment. Well, that, that's well, more than we it. knew before. <laughs> I can tell you I have the models. I have the original VFX models from CBS. You can draw your own conclusions about why I might have them. Hmm. Well, I wonder. One of, one of my favorite ships of the collection that I picked up separately was picking up the Inter- Enterprise X ship. And the fact that you talked about Mirror Universe, but you also did a great job of integrating that with discussion with IDW's Mirror Universe and their 
Enterprise, which that's what I kind of look that ship more as is the Mirror Enterprise ship. And that yeah, was just, we, I was so tickled when that came. That that got really. We're just doing, uh, which we just released. I think it's out uh, a, a larger model of the All Good Things version of the Enterprise, which is basically the same ship you're talking about. I think um, you you're a little hard to hear for a second there, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very much a fan favorite. People love a few extra nacelles and some uh, extra guns. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, so Ben, before before we run out of time, um, I wanted to ask you: Is there anything that you're currently working on that that you don't have an NDA sign that you can't tell us about? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Well, the, the books that are coming out between now and Christmas uh, are the big thing, uh, the big sort of focus for me at the moment. So uh, we have three books. We have uh, one that's called Mister Spock's Little Book of Mindfulness. Uh, subtitle is How to Survive in a Logical World, which feels very, very appropriate right now. Um, and that's sort of taking all the, the sort of wisdom that Spock uh, quotes in the series and trying to apply it to the modern world and maybe asking some questions about it. It's a very funny book. It's written by my friend Glenn. Um, it's like... Yeah, I think I think people will get a kick out of it. It's got cartoons. It's it's it's, it's just a very different kind of Star Trek book. Um, then we have on the basically on the same day actually we have a, a cocktail book. Um, I was, my favorite stat for this year is that if you Google uh, Star Trek cocktail, you get four and a half million results, um, and that's like Star Trek in inverted commas. That's just not. I was thinking, oh, it's Star Star cocktails or something like that. It's not. So there's obviously a lot of interest in that. Um, we've actually already had to go back to press on that before it's even gone on sale. So um, I have high hopes for that. And then the big thing that I spent quite a lot of my summer doing, lockdown worked in my favor on this one, is we did a massive uh, Voyager retrospective book. I talked to the entire cast, apart from Jennifer Lee, who doesn't give interviews, um, and all the writers, um, and, you know, I know most of the guys in the, the kind of art department and the VFX department as well. So they contributed loads. So that that's a, a thing I'm really, really proud of. Wow. And when, when can we expect to see the Voyager book? You said around Christmas? Uh, yeah, November, I'm going to say November 17th. There have been a few little movements because of COVID and things having to come, literally come on a slow boat from China. Um but yeah, it's up for pre-order now. If you look for it on Amazon, it's called Voyager: A Celebration. Um, yeah, and it's it's what I love about it is that we were able to talk to the actors about their characters, but also the writers about their characters. So that when you talk to talk about a character, you're talking about it from everybody's perspective, not just it's not just a straight interview. So which I think has worked out really, really well. I'm really, really pleased with the results. So Ben, I want to ask you a a Voyager question about a particular episode. Okay. I want to ask you about Tuvix. <laughs> I want to ask you about Tuvix, and this mm-hmm. is a conversation that we've had on this podcast many times. It's a debate that Star Trek fans still have today. Do you think that Janeway made the right choice, the wrong choice, or was was it a Kobayashi Maru type of decision where, regardless of what she did, it was going to be the wrong choice? Um, I'll go with the latter, but I will tell you something about that episode. That episode there's actually a little section on Tuvix in the book, 
Um, when Michael Piller came to Star Trek, uh, he struggled a bit at the beginning with Gene's insistence that there would be no conflict. Uh, and the answer that Michael came up with was that a really great episode of Star Trek would be one that confronted the captain with a moral dilemma which had no obvious resolution or, or no perfect answer. So if you think about an episode like um, I, Borg, as well, you know, if Picard had had really gone ahead and infected Hugh with the, the virus and he had wiped out the Borg, would that have been a good thing or a bad thing? You know, you commit genocide, but think of the millions, billions of people that you would save. So that's Michael's idea of a perfect episode. Um, and in two weeks, it started off as a, a romp. It just started off as a kind of silly story about, you know, Tuvok and Neelix being combined. And then Michael and uh, Brandon were working on it, and they came up with this idea that actually it was a really difficult moral question to which there is no perfect answer. Um, a bit of a Kobe Yashimaru, if you will, yeah. Yeah, we still... we. Fans still talk about that very thing even today. That's how powerful that episode mm-hmm. was. We, we talked about it just recently on this podcast ourselves. So I just wanted to get your take on that. And, uh, yeah, we're winding down pretty quick. Wow. So let me ask you, what do you think? Did you get a chance to see Discovery Season 3 yet? I did. I did. And what did you think about the first episode? Did you, did you like I... it? Or was it everything you expected? Or... No, no spoilers, um, yeah. though. Yeah, I thought it was. I, I thought it was. Uh, trying not to give spoilers. I thought it was bold to not um, to not do everything that you might have done in that first episode. I had that for a cryptic response. Um, I thought it was interesting to to do a kind of Star Trek that hasn't been done before. Um, you know, I mean, it's obviously, you know, in the 70s, Gene developed all these series that were kind of like a, a version of Project Genesis, which, are, you know, what eventually became Andromeda. The idea of um, someone who's traveled through time, uh, in that case, through sleeping, but in Michael's case, through a wormhole, um, and then has to try and resurrect this sort of lost great civilization, which I, I don't think is giving anything away. I think that's pretty clear from the, the trailer. Um, so I think that's it's a very modern premise. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, I really liked the book. Um, there were a few things I, you know, a lot of people died, which I thought was a little bit, I don't know, casual. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to next week. What what did you think about Grudge the Cat? <laughs> but that's a big cat. That's what I thought. Um, <laughs> that is a big cat. And uh, one more quick question for you. Did you get a chance to watch Lower Deck Season 1? And if you did, what did you think about it? What was your take on that approach to Star Trek? I enjoyed Lower Decks. I um, I guess the, the first episode, I was like, mm, I'm not laughing every single minute. And then I came to, to like, uh, there were some some moments during that first season when I laughed really quite hard. Um, I, and I, I found that I just like really looked forward to spending time on the Cerritos. Um, you know, I loved the idea. I, you know, I, I, I liked hanging out with Mariner, even like hanging out with Boimler, which is probably says something about 
Anybody there? Oh. Did we lose Anybody him? There? there we go. Yeah. There he is. There he is. You back? You Did back you miss me? Everybody there? <laughs> yeah, we're here. I'm here. <laughs> we're here. Live, live radio. Live radio, indeed. <laughs> yep. There you go. It man. happens. <laughs> yep. Good. <laughs> so yeah, we, lower decks. We, we've enjoyed the show. It's a different approach to Star Trek, but it's a fun approach. Mm. I think. I'm enjoying it. There, there's so many Easter Definitely. eggs. I think that's the thing that worked for a lot of fans. Um, you know, that packet chip at the end. I don't know if you noticed that the Mondor, mm. the the original packet chip is just stuck on the front of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we I, we tried to dissect as many Easter eggs as we could each week as we reviewed those things, and it really is a show for Star Trek fans. If you're if you're a Star Trek fan, you're gonna love every single second of it just because the references are fast and furious. Yeah, Mike Mike McMahon's a nice guy. He uh, he definitely gets all of that. It's a big part of him. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and I like it because it doesn't feel like they're pandering to Star Trek fans either because when they make their Easter eggs or their references, if you didn't catch it or you didn't know, it really didn't affect how much you enjoyed the episode. But if you did catch it, it just made it that much more better for you. Absolutely. I think uh, one of uh, the early descriptions of Mariner is that she's a fan. You know, that she's like, going, oh, yeah, Kirk did this. and blah, blah, blah. But I think you're right. I mean, the, the best Easter eggs are the ones that just kind of slide by. And if you know, like, seeing the Mondor stuck to the front of the Packard ship, you know, not everyone's mm-hmm. going to spot that, but uh, you're going to feel very pleased with yourself if you do, obviously. Yeah, and now are you guys planning on making that ship in the Eagle Moss collection? <sighs> that might Perhaps. be a stretch too far. It's quite difficult. The other thing we always talk about, we never we never actually managed to do, is the original animated series. So, um, I do an inflatable enterprise, that's my goal in life. Um, but uh, yeah, there's some there's some very weird chips in that. The animation is uh, yeah, you can do anything you like in animation. It makes it a bit challenging sometimes. Yeah, and you know, I think that's the difference between Star Trek the animated series and Star Trek Lower Decks. They're both animated, but they're a completely different type of animation, mm. different style. Yeah, and I think uh, actually, I suppose I was going to say, and I think Mike's very um, you know very determined that it's all canon. But actually, so was Dorothy. Um, you know, Dorothy Fontana was the producer on on the animated series, and she she was very clear. She didn't see why it was any different to any other Star Trek. She was not happy when it got ruled out canon. Yeah, but didn't they rule it back in as canon again? No, it's only got. Well, Mike McMahon's determined to make bits of it canon again. That's why you see, like uh, the Doctor in in Lower Decks is the same species as Amaras. Uh, and why there's like the, in the episode where they go to the the the, the hospital planet when Boimler's taken away with all the weirdos, um, you know, the guy who takes them is from Eric's species as well. So Mike's been quietly trying to sneak a lot of that animated stuff back in, but uh, there are a few problems. I mean, like you have giant buttons and things like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've talked about that before. Well, they did. Yeah. They did mention that on uh, Lower Deck, so there, there is a giant Vulcan Spock running around somewhere, because there's Philosians. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, you know what, Ben? Uh, believe it or not, 
we're out of time. That that hour just flew right by like like crazy. So um, and I want I want to say thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with us and for staying up so late because I know you're you're over in the UK. We really appreciate you talking with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, it's a pleasure. That's, uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a night owl anyway, so it's not too much of a problem for me. But it's a pleasure. And uh, if, if you talk to Mark Altman, uh, you know, tell him I appreciate him taking my father and, and, and hanging out at the bar with him. <laughs> I will. I need to talk to Mark. Mark's in uh, Croatia at the moment, making Pandora. But uh, I, we, we do need to catch up with one another. <laughs> So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna say good night to Ben and thank you very much for hanging out with us. And please, you guys, uh, check out these. I, I assume they can pre-order these books from Eagle Moth. They, you can, or from Amazon. Um, if you, yeah, Mr. Spock's Little Book of Mindfulness, uh, Star Trek Cocktails, and Star Trek Voyager: A Celebration. Uh, they're all out there for pre-order now. Um, or you can go to our website, which is shop.eaglemoth.com. Um, but yeah, they're out there, easy to get. Should not be a problem. Excellent. So thank you very much, Ben, for hanging out with us. And when the Voyager book comes out and we get a chance to read it and review it, we'll have to have you back on the show to tell us all about it. All the stuff I left out. All the stuff that doesn't get into it. Yeah, it'll be a pleasure. (laughs) I hope you enjoy. (laughs) The dirty, all the dirty behind the scenes secrets. (laughs) Oh, it's got quite a lot of those in the book, actually. It's got lots of uh, it's got lots of funny stories from the set. Mm-hmm. I look forward to reading it. Well, thank you very much, Ben. You have a very good night, and thank you for Trek talking with us tonight. Well, thank you, and enjoy the rest of your show. Thank night, you. Ben. Good night. Thank night. You. All right, guys. Bye. Uh, we're we're saying good night to Ben Robinson, but don't go away. We still have plenty of show to talk about. We're going to go back to the top of the hour. We're going to do our Star Trek birthdays. We're going to do our fan shout-outs, and we got some Star Trek news, and then we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery, the Season 3 virtual premiere. Don't touch that dial. Trek Talking. All things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're back. Ben Robinson, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. And uh, we're going to jump right back to the top of our show uh, with our fan shout-outs. And usually we do this after we go around the globe so we're just going a little bit backwards right now. So, Eric, why don't you jump in and start us off with our fan shout-out? You better believe it. Thank you very much this week to Dana Ludwig from Switzkau in Saxony, Germany. Uh, man, we have a lot of Germans coming up here, folks, and thank you so much for listening. We also have Ilanka Liska from Ulich uh, and Kristen Maywald from Stuttgart. So three Germans in a row. Thank you so much for listening to us. We'd also like to say thank you uh, to Fergus McDonald from Dublin, Ireland. And thank you so much for listening to Jino Huang from Huntington Beach, California. Charles, who else is listening to us? All right. Well, we got Robin Bailey-Warinski 
from Las Vegas. We get Tim Corwin from Deerfield, Florida. James C. Woodham from Fort Walton, Florida. Fort, uh, me, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Tim Kopak from Toronto, Ontario. And James T.J. Stiles from Vegas also. Which I'm not coming with him either, but we got some Vegas people this week. Vegas, baby. Do you know any of those people, Charles? Don't know those people right off, unless they're in the club. I just don't know them by name that well. Well, that's okay. They're yeah, they're some, they're somewhere. They're local. They're local. And I'll <laughs> jump right in here and finish off our fan shout-outs with Alvin Manning from Norfolk, Virginia. Thank you very much for listening, Alvin. We appreciate it. Thank you to Vanessa Roney from Lanchester, Lancashire, UK. We just talked to Ben from the UK. Uh, Jennifer Wiggins mm-hmm. from Northampton, England. And uh, Diana Parent from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And we'll wrap up our fan shout-outs by saying a humongous hello, live long and prosper, and kapla to Sabrina Rosa from Rome, Italy. Thank you very much for listening, guys. You're, you're all so important to us. And we appreciate each and every one of you guys. Hell, we couldn't do the show without you guys. It's true. Right. True. Without any listeners, yeah. it's just us talking to ourselves. Yeah, we, we could do that anytime. We, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, what's really cool this, is with, with our Facebook page and everything, it really allows us to kind of have more of an interaction with our fans, you know, and you'll remember that uh, when you go on our Facebook page, if, uh, if you get – if Jim decides to pick you and you get the little heart, that means that you will get a shout out this week. Uh, so that's kind of a special honor. That's right. I, I forgot to mention that. If uh, when I go through and I, and I'm picking all the names, we pick 15 a week. If the little heart shows up next to your name, that means that you're going to be on, on our show. So you want to tune in and hear your name. Mm-hmm. So this is where we do that's our right. birthdays. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have a lot this month, but we have some real good ones. And before we do that, we got to sing happy birthday. That was not a Klingon song. No, it wasn't, but we like it anyways. Eric, you usually start us off with our birthdays for people whom are no longer with us anymore. That's right, Jim. And this week we have four remembrances of folks who are no longer with us, and there are some heavy hitters in this list. Um, These folks would have had a birthday this year, uh, or excuse me, this week. Uh, We're going to start off with Eli Bahar who played Dr. Eli in the TOS episode, Dagger of the Mind. So we are remembering Eli Bahar this week. This name here, uh, you may not know the name, but you'll certainly know the roles. Um, We're also remembering Janos Praska. Now, this actor in particular played, was sort of famous for playing monsters and uh, non-human things. And in fact, in Star Trek, he appeared many times, uh, first in the episode, well, he was actually in the cage originally uh, as kind of a, uh, a killer chicken. Uh, 
that scene was eventually cut uh, and and severely uh, reduced uh, in the actual cage. So he didn't really get much screen time there, but he's more famous for being the Mugato in the episode of Private Little War. He also played the Horda, uh, the little carpet devil uh, from uh, Devil in the Dark. And finally, he was uh, also in the episode Savage Curtain as the Yarnak uh, monster in that one. So an actor who we have seen many times and whose face we do not know, Janos Prosko would have had a birthday this week. We're also remembering Barbara Marsh, uh, who is a name that you should probably know if you're particularly, a D- I think of it as a DS9 thing, but it's, it's actually from TNG DS9 and the movie Star Trek Generations. She played Lursa from the House of Duras. Uh, so happy birthday to Barbara March, who we lost uh, just a few years ago. Uh, the biggest one this week that I think uh, rings true across multiple generations of Star Trek, uh, Mark Leonard would have had a birthday this week. He, of course, is known probably most famously, uh, at least in my mind, as Sarek, um, from TOS, uh, the animated series, and Next Generation. But, of course, he also played the Romulan commander in Balance of Terror. Uh, he played a Klingon captain in Star Trek The Motion Picture. And uh, this one's thrown in here for Jim in particular, who is a big fan of Planet of the Apes. He played the main general, General Urko, from Planet of the Apes, the TV series. So happy birthday yeah. to Mark Leonard, who we lost a while ago, back in the 90s. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, so Jim, tell us about Planet of the Apes. Actually, today is Mark Leonard's birthday, oddly enough. He, today is his birthday. And I had to throw oh, Planet yeah. of the Apes in there because if you guys ever listen to stunt treks with myself and Leslie Hoffman, Regardless of what the topic is, we could be talking about Batman. We could be talking about Space 1999. We could be talking about Freddy Krueger's claws. It always comes back to Planet of the Apes. It just always <laughs> does. I don't know why, but, but it does. So uh, I had to make sure that we mentioned that everybody knew that Mark Leonard played General Urko in Planet of the Apes. And also, I wanted to say that Mark Leonard holds a special place in my heart for two reasons. First, the very first Star Trek convention I ever went to, uh, 1983-ish, 84, a long time ago, Mark Leonard was the guest. That was the first Star Trek actor I ever met, and he signed a picture for me, To Jim, Live Long and Prosper, and it's from, it's from the Journey to Babel episode where he's standing around the table eating the colored marshmallows there um, with the Andorian and the Tellarite, and one of my prized possessions is that picture. But later on, uh, 10 10 years later, when I wanted to do my first Star Trek convention, I said, you know what? Mark Leonard left such an impression on me. He was such a personable, friendly, nice guy. I want to have him at my first Star Trek convention. Reached out to him. He he showed up. It was right around Star Trek VI time. Uh, My wife and I, Karen, we picked him up at the airport, brought him to the hotel. We sat down, talked with him for a few minutes. I was real nervous because you don't talk about Star Trek and these actors, you got to be professional and, you know, whatnot. So the first thing he wanted to start to doing was talking about Star Trek, which I was like, great, cool. We went there. <laughs> I was real nervous. He reached across the table and mind melded me. And it was the best moment of my life. I'll never, <laughs> ever, ever forget getting Vulcan mind meld 
from Mark Leonard. He was sitting right next to me on the table at the table. My wife was across and uh, it was just an awesome, awesome memory. So that's my Mark Leonard story. Uh, Charles, why don't you continue on with our birthdays? Okay, we've got Justin Lin, who is the director of Star Trek Beyond. We have Ben Vereen, who is Commander Edward M. LaForge, a.k.a. Jordy's father in TNG's interface. Played Nose in Voyager episode Gravity. And Renee Jones played Lieutenant Aquiel from TNG is Aquiel. I think that's, is that Aquiel? Aquiel, I'm not positive myself. Okay. I think that's Aquiel. And And, um, I'll wrap up the birthdays. Let's have Jim finish us off. Yeah, it was a slow month for Star Trek birthdays, um, oddly enough. But uh, there's a couple. Yeah, Monster. So, I want to start off with, if you guys have ever listened to this podcast, you know one thing that I'm really big on, and that's music and music cues, because I think music can make or break a movie. The proper usage of a theme song at the right moment can make or break the mood of an episode or a movie. So the first birthday we're going to start off with is Michael Chicano, who was the composer for the Star Trek 2009, Star Trek Into Darkness, and Star Trek Beyond. Um, great theme songs, really captures the feel of Star Trek. So happy birthday. Uh, we also have another one, a Klingon. Of course, I, I usually get the Klingons. I couldn't do Barbara Mosh because she was in our, our remembrances. So Eric got to do that one, but not this one. A Paul Ross, Rossellini who played Brigadier Curla in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And I saved the biggest and best for last. Um, oh, boy. It's Scott Bakula, Captain Jonathan Archer from Star Trek Enterprise. His birthday is this week. So happy birthday to all of our Star Trek alumni and those that are no longer with us. We remember you. And um, happy birthday to each and every one of you. And this brings us back to Star Trek news. Now, I'm working on this, guys. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to come up with a Star Trek news intro like we have the birthdays. Right now, we just have the old 50s tele, tele, was it a teleprompter beeping. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to improve it. Uh, we, it, it. It'll get better. It will get better. But for right now, this is, this is our Star Trek news intro. Live. I think it's perfect. Oh, we're talking and beyond. <laughs> it's Star Trek news. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> well, something like that. Like I said, guys, it's it's still a work in progress. It'll get better as time goes on. Don't you worry. So, Star Trek Discovery Season 3 premiered last night, but they had a digital virtual premiere uh, the night before, which we all had the opportunity of attending. 
And we're going to talk with you guys about that a little bit later, so don't you worry. Also, Star Trek Discovery Season 1 is still currently playing at 10 o'clock tonight on CBS, so you guys can actually turn on your television and watch Season 1 of Star Trek Discovery. So that's, that's pretty cool if you haven't already seen it, I think. So you guys mm-hmm. can check that out if, if you're so inclined. And we're going to be talking about Mandalorian as well, which is going to premiere on October 30th, which is a Friday. So we'll be talking about Discovery and Star, and Star Wars Mandalorian. I'm getting old and senile. Mandalorian Season 2, <laughs> as well as Star Trek Discovery. So that'll be at the end of each of each show we'll, with Mandalorian and Star Trek Discovery. So, uh, Charles, that brings us up to you, and you can start off our 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 news with a little little tidbit here that I threw in there. All right. Well, as we put a date on this, and it's like, yes, as of midnight, as of midnight my time, aka about 3 a.m. gym time, Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 1, that Hope Is You Part 1 is available now on on CBS All Access. It should be sometime tomorrow. From the conversations I'm hearing, it should should be tomorrow that part of North America should be getting their their access to it. So we are going to do our best not to make any too many spoilers on it. Just a reminder, arriving 300 30 years in the future, Burnham navigates a galaxy she is no longer recognizing while searching for the rest of the USS Discovery, searching for the USS Discovery and its crew. Yes. And we're not going to give you guys any spoilers, but we're going to talk about this as generically as we can. But and I, I don't think this is a spoiler. Um, but I ripped off the trailer, the audio from the trailer, and I'm going to play that for you guys right now just to wet your whistles a little bit so you know what you have to look forward to. Um, This is the, I don't know what you want to call it, the trailer for next week's, this week's episode. Well, it's a combination. This is the new trailer for Star Trek um, Discovery, I think. Where is it? There it is. You might want to hold on to something. This world feels like a dream. A strange, terrible, beautiful dream. Everything is different. I am different. I promise you. I'm ready. So that just gives you a little something to uh, look forward to if you haven't seen it yet. Just a little teaser to wet your whistle. (laughs) All right, Eric, take us away. All right. Our next thing that we get to talk about 
is one of my favorite topics from Lower Decks. Uh, and remember, folks, if you want more information on any of these articles, you can certainly go to our Facebook page. We just uh, we just choose little excerpts here to wet your whistle a little bit. But if you'd like to read the whole thing, just go to uh, our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond, all spelled out, and you will find the whole deal on these things. So this one says, Star Trek Lower Decks brought the infamous Spock helmet toy into canon, and I just was giddy when I saw this. The Star Trek Lower Decks season one finale contained numerous callbacks and references only a longtime fan would know. From the sentient exocomps to the slow but devious Paclids, these references are significantly deeper cuts than the Jonathan Frakes cameo. But one blink and miss it moment goes even deeper, all the way back to the merchandising of the original series, the Spock helmet. Somebody in marketing thought it looked similar enough to the headgear Leonard Nimoy sports in Spock's brain, though it really doesn't. And in fact, there is a fantastic show. If you guys have not seen it, I definitely recommend it. Uh, If you go to the uh, Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us, there is a Star Trek uh, episode of that where they discuss the Spock helmet in detail and uh, the fact that back then, you know, Many of these toy companies would just take random things that they had on the shelf, uh, slap a sticker on it that branded it uh, some sort of connection to Star Trek, and they'd sell it. And this Spock helmet is one of those items. It's basically a white helmet with a red light on top that spins around, and uh, boy, it it is pretty goofy. I love that they have now officially canonized the Spock helmet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Yeah. I thought you'd like that story. That and really good uh, another you. story that I want to throw out for you guys, um, Alex Kurtzman on why Star Trek Discovery Season 3 takes us into a new unexplored time period. And as Eric said, um, I've only paraphrased these. If you want to read the full article, Go to our Facebook page, Star of Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out, and you can read the entire article. Initially, Season 3 was only going to jump 300 years into the future, but the powers that be changed that to almost 1,000 years instead. Alex Kurtman is careful not to give too much away. He says, I don't want to spoil things, but one thing that we were very excited about was being entirely free of canon. That does not mean erasing canon, and we have not done that. Kurtzman assures us it doesn't mean that anything that has been established as canon is going away. It all still exists, Kurtzman says. I'll give you an example. It's safe to say that in the spirit of what I just said, I would look to the past and would try to understand what happened to the people I love. So Berman is absolutely going to look to that past and try to understand what happened to Spock makes sense we all know what Mm -hmm. happened to spock but everything that we now take for granted she has no understanding of so she will dive into that and she will get to see what became of her brother and that will actually impact the story for her in a significant way i've just told you more than i told anybody about that topic yeah there's a lot to unpack there a lot to unpack 
I'm kind of surprised yeah, that he would go that, that far as to say that much because that feels like that gives up some major plot points that have not been revealed in any of the trailers so far. So this is a very interesting interview. I, I, I personally did not necessarily expect a connection back to Spock this season, given how far in the future we are. But I love that idea. You know, we talked a lot about how Spock and Burnham are almost a perfect duo. You know, the, the human Vulcan and the Vulcan human, uh, they're, they're a great pair. And, and it makes sense that she would want to look to the past and, uh, you know, find out what happened to him and probably draw some strength or some guidance from that. I do want to throw out one spoiler. Uh, I don't think it's really a spoiler because we really actually know that it happened. But there is one thing I want to throw out as far as the the Burnham-Spock connection, and that is when we see Spock at the end of of Discovery Season 2, they're looking for the final signal from the Red Angel, which which (laughs) he gets. And number one says, yeah, we found a, a, a red supernova giant, whatever it was, at coordinates, blah, 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 blah. And then Spock says, well, there's a nebula over here that we want to go and explore. And they, they fly away and go to the nebula. Well, one of the things I thought was really cool that ties into exactly what he said is that we actually, Michael Burnham, we actually get to see her send that signal to Spock. And I, I just think that is just such a cool tie-in that we know he gets the signal because we see him get it, uh, but but we actually see her send it, and that's kind of like it's it, it's kind of like Burnham and Spock are still connecting to each other even though they're a thousand years apart, and I think that is just so cool. I do have a question though: if she's going to look back on the past, will she read anything about Cybok? Hmm. Excellent question. I do not know. It'd be cool if she I did. Just, just, but, you know, it's, that, that it's clear be. that Spock and her are the one that have the connection. So, yeah, I, I mean, she must be aware of Cybok, right? I would think so. Or maybe not. Maybe he was never spoken of in the, in the Sarek household post-Burnham. You know, he was probably, I mean, he was definitely gone by then. So, uh, you know, we don't, they do need to give us a little bit more Cybok because right now he's the kind of outlier that nobody's really sure exactly how he fits into the timeline of Sarek's family. Yeah. I, I hope it would be nice to mention Cybok, even if she doesn't mention him by name, even if she just in passing mentions Spock's other brother or stepbrother or something, just, just to acknowledge the fact that he exists is really all that that it would take to make me happy. (laughs) And Kurtzman has been interviewed recently, and he has made it pretty clear that he would like to see all of Star Trek kind of come together and coalesce as one thing. So it's clear that he wants to not only bring in things like the Kelvin timeline and, and kind of unify everything, but certainly that must extend to those little outliers like Cybok. I would think so. I mean, I, I call him an outlier. There was a whole movie about the guy, but, <laughs> but you never hear yeah. about him anywhere else. So that's, that's why I refer no. to him as an outlier. Well, guys, we're going to take our final commercial break of the night. We have a little ditty that a good friend of mine wrote and recorded for us. And when we get back, we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery. We're not going to spoil the episode or talk directly about the episode itself. We're going to do that next week. 
Uh, we might meander a little bit in and around it, maybe. We might touch on it a little bit here and there, but we're not actually going to dissect it and discuss it tonight. That'll be next week. But we are going to talk about the Star Trek Discovery Season 3 virtual party, which all of us got invited to. So don't touch your dial. We've still got plenty of fun. We'll be right back after this. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But your time is finally here You can feel the change in your thoughts right now Nothing's in your way And they're not gonna hold you down no more No, they're not gonna hold you down Cause we've got faith That's your call we want to hear what you have to say. We've got faith to believe in Trek talking today. You've got faith in your fingers. All you got to do is now, now you can reach us right now. We've got faith. We've got faith. Faith that you call. And we're back, and our very own Eric recorded that for us. Thank you very much, Eric. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. playing that when I can squeeze it in there. I thought it was it's great fun. when Jonathan Frakes, when Riker mentioned that in Lower Decks. Yeah. Um, I thought that. <laughs> I well, was laughing so they hard. Do that, but they, they, yeah, especially because they tied it into that awful last episode of Enterprise. It was just particularly funny that they, they kind of did both at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. So, guys, uh, Charles and Eric, myself and Shannon. Shannon, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hey, Excellent. Good to have you along, Shannon. Uh, we all had the opportunity to attend the Star Trek Discovery Season 3 virtual premiere, which was last night. We got to see two episodes. We thought we were only going to see one, but we saw two. And they had a virtual, um, I don't know what you call it, convention maybe type of thing party and uh, party yeah party yeah now we're going to talk about that in great length and great detail and tell you guys what we thought about it and we're going to just have some fun talking about it but first a little special thing for you guys just for you guys for the millions of people listening to us right now around the radio wink wink nudge nudge um (laughs) (laughs) i have a special treat for you guys um this is a Star Trek Discovery um, teaser trailer, I guess, that I'm going to play for you guys. I hope you enjoy it. Feels like a dream, this world. A strange, beautiful dream. All decks prepare for impact. I've been searching for clues as to what caused the burn answers that might help to bring the Federation together again. So much we still do not know. It is quite extraordinary, the journey we have had. Ah, there she is. The science vessel's practically a museum. Okay, well, museums are cool, so... That's what someone who lives in a museum would say. The Federation gave me a mission and a purpose. Five unidentified vessels incoming. Because the problems often seem insurmountable. Let's go! But haven't we always risen to meet them? I'm about to do something that might get us both killed. 
I'm gonna enjoy this new world. Discovery carried us into the future. We will make that future bright. You are going to figure out what caused the burn and help to rebuild the Federation. We all will. Hello. I'm not a cat person. No. <laughs> grudge. My God, I love grudge. <laughs> grudge. I cool. grudge is so all awesome. people would be a cat person. Yeah. Yeah. I had her pick for a cat person, too. And, uh, yeah. guys, I think we have Nate here on the line. Nate, can you hear us? Perhaps. Perhaps Maybe. not. Nate? Maybe not. Okay. Well, that could be. So we got our invitations um, to the Star Trek virtual premiere. I sent in a picture of me and my daughter meeting this most awesome Saru that I've ever seen in my life at Trek Ticonderoga last year. I mean, this guy looked like Saru. I mean, I've seen a lot of cosplayers in my life. But this guy was just, I would have thought I was actually with Saru. And so I sent in the picture. And I remember the day I saw the invitation, my daughter sent it to me. And I said, oh, we're going to win this. And I remember texting Eric and Charles and saying, guys, I'm going to win this because there's no way they're not going to invite me with this awesome picture. You guys remember? Mm -hmm. I was like, I bet my life on it. And I sent in the picture like weeks and weeks and weeks ago, and I heard nothing. But in the meantime, in the meantime, Shannon got invited, Ken got invited, Eric got invited, Nate got invited, <laughs> and I got nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. None of these people sent in pictures with Saru. And then <laughs> yesterday afternoon, I got the invite in my in my email. So I was able to attend and I, I'm glad that I got it because it was something I'd never done before. I've never experienced anything like that before. And it was just, it was so much fun to share that with you guys. So the way it worked was like this. They said, they set up a link and they sent you a password and you logged on to this site and you put in your password and then up on the screen, you actually got a message directly to you. It said, it said, this link is for Jim Yeager or whatever your name was. And when you were watching the first episode, that your name was on the episode the whole time you watched it. Same thing with the second episode, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, why? And, um, yeah, I, you know. No, I, can, yeah. I can tell you exactly yeah. why they did that. I don't know. Wait, because if anybody leaked, it's a watermark. Right. If anybody yeah. leaked pictures from the premiere, exactly from the red carpet premiere, they're going to know who did it. Yep. Who, who would do something nice like that, though? <laughs> who who would do that? My God. Oh, who who would do people that? People would do it. People. Who would wow. go into a people movie would do it. record a movie that just came out to put on the Internet? All they have to do is wait two weeks. That's all they have to do. Yeah, that's all. Well, in this case, wait a day. Oh, for the second Sorry. episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so the way they did it, guys, was we, we watched the first episode, and then we went into the virtual party. 
And I was sitting there watching Sonequa Martin-Green talking about uh, filming. And all of a sudden, the screen went to red. Red alert, red alert, sirens, red alert flashing. And it said that episode two was going to be coming up shortly. I was like, episode two, episode two. And so, yeah, I had to stay up past my bedtime because I wasn't going to miss that. (laughs) So... Let, let's talk about the virtual party, guys. We'll 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 dance yeah. around the episode a little bit, um, but let's talk about the party, Shannon. What did you think about the way they did the virtual party? What was your favorite parts of the virtual party? Um, well, I like they had the catwalk where they showed pictures of people that people had sent in, like yours. I didn't see yours, but yours would have been in there. And then you could go to the fireside chat and. You know, the actors are talking, and I mean, I have ADD, and I could not keep up with all the comments that were flying through there. You know, Alex Kurtzman was on there, too. Like, I said something to Dr. Muhammad Noor, because I know he's one of the, I've met him, and he's a very nice guy, and he's on, he's one of the science things, and he responded. I'm like, it was, like I said, there were like 30 a second. You couldn't, like, keep up with everything. Like, okay. But every time it's such a good time, it was almost like being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing that would have made it better would have been hanging out with you guys would have been the only way to make it better. Yeah. I thought. It was interesting. Because, yeah, I mean, I would agree. We had the fortune of being all on a chat at the same time, so that sort of allowed us to communicate while we were in the virtual rooms. But the, the great thing about the party was that there were it was essentially set up as four different rooms. There was the Starfleet catwalk, which was a zone you could go into, and they were showing photos of um, these photos that uh, Jim was talking about of people in costume that had sent them into the, the contest. So they had an Andorian host who was showing the photos that fans had sent in. There was the Federation Fireside chat area where they were doing these interviews, like Shannon was just discussing. They interviewed Sonequa Martin-Green, um, Doug Jones, uh, you know, various other people. It was, it was really cool. Uh, that's where I spent most of my time. Uh, they had a mm-hmm. place called In-Flight Entertainment, which was <laughs> uh, basically just a DJ, just jamming. And I got to tell you, folks, he was pretty good. Like, if you wanted to dance, that was the joint that you could go to to do that. And the fourth link was the Mercantile Bar. Uh, and the Mercantile mm-hmm. Bar was hosted by a bartender and a an Orion. And they, they just were sort of like shooting the breeze the whole time, you know, about an hour's worth of just kind of chatting with the crowd, responding to the various chat rooms and stuff. So each one of these areas mm-hmm. had a chat room, and you could interact with each other. And at some point, Jim said, are, are you guys in here? I can't tell if you're in here. And we'd, <laughs> you know, we'd send a chat, and then you, okay. I'd see Shannon's name pop up and – it's pretty cool. Yeah. Actually, the bar some, I was I would have a I would have a different name for the bar, as you had the bartender and the lounge singer. Yeah, absolutely. And she was a bit more of a classic lounge singer, is what she was. And she was, and she played it up too. It was pretty funny. Yeah. And if if, if you guys um, like mm-hmm. Shannon said, the the chat went by so fast, but. But Marina Sirtis showed up in the chat, mm-hmm. and Jonathan Frakes showed up in chat. Mm-hmm. Sonequa Martin-Green Anthony Rapp. popped in. Mm-hmm. They all Alex showed up and yeah, chatted with the – yeah. yeah. It was just – it was so great to see them interacting with all of the fans. It was um, 
And they were bouncing in and out of different rooms. No, but but what you felt like was that you actually got more of a direct connection because you could say, you could literally say, hey, Alex, I love this show. And you would know that he was sitting there and he would read it, you know? It felt it, to That's me. True. It actually felt more, even more intimate than a than a convention, um, just because. That's it was true. Because it, well, even when when some of us went to the Picard premiere, you know, once the premiere was over, the actors were gone there at after party. So we saw some of the actors, but um, not the main actors. Cause we hung out with them afterwards. Mm-hmm. So this time, you actually got to interact with that. So this was actually better. So you could talk to them directly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, and my wife Karen um, walked in because uh, to see what was going on, and, and my wife thought that they should do them all like this because it gives it gives people an opportunity to attend it from all over the place and do it from the comfort of your own home without having to fly across the country. You know, yeah, I really like it because it feels like it levels the playing field. You know, you could invite. I mean, theoretically, just. Uh, as many people as you wanted to provided your internet servers and whatnot could actually handle the bandwidth. But, you know, there's no reason that it, a convention has to be uh, just available to those folks who can afford to fly there or, you know, that type of thing. Or get tickets. Virtual, anybody can, or get tickets. That's right. I mean, yeah, you're right, Shannon. Some of these things, you know, limited tickets. Uh, some people mm-hmm. may pay over face value if they don't get in ahead of time. So it's, yeah, it's a great way to do it. And one one of the, my favorite things I really enjoyed talking to Grudge the Cat. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> Universal Translator. That was so funny. That was that really was so funny. funny. <laughs> they, they had Grudge sitting there, and they'd ask him a question. He'd go, Meow, and then Universal <laughs> Translator would translate what the cat said. I thought that was just mm-hmm. I was falling off my chair laughing. That was my favorite part of the whole <laughs> thing. And you had a NASA engineer questioning Grudge, and he's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my my cat AJ was sitting here saying, Dad, I can do that, Dad. You want to see me do that? I can do that. (laughs) Well, I posted a picture of our main coon with the background on the page last night because I thought it was very funny. Because he was listening when Grudge was talking. He's like, where is that coming from? I saw that. I, I saw that when when Grudge was meowing, AJ was sitting here like, what's that? Where's that coming from? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he's not used to hearing cats on my computer. <laughs> right. I, well, you know, overall, I found that the virtual party was really a lot of fun. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. It was, a, it was a blast. I mean, another nice feature that we haven't mentioned yet that was, that was pretty fun. I think all of us took advantage of it was uh, they had something called the photo booth. So they, they put up a QR mm-hmm. code that you could scan with your phone. You take a picture of yourself uh, and you essentially text it to them and they fix it up with the Star Trek Discovery premiere kind of logo around your face and then text it back to you. And then you could share that on social media. So that was another kind of level of interaction. The only thing that I was going to say was, did you guys ever find a way to go anywhere to see if you could see other people's photos? I don't mm. think that I saw that. No, I only no, saw I when people posted them online. Yeah, that was the that was the one thing that I wish was available because they had this function called photo booth. And so you would mm-hmm. assume that you could then go and maybe you know browse other people's photos, see what they're doing. 
I think that could have lent a little bit more interactive feel to it. But that that aside, the party was so much fun, and uh, and it was fun to be able to bounce in and out of different rooms. You know, if you sort of got mm-hmm. bored with the interview that was going on, you could bounce over to the catwalk for a while or go listen to a song at the bar. So very unique experience. I, I, if you guys go to our Facebook page, Trek talking in beyond spelled out, you'll see um, a picture there of Sonequa Martin green and um, uh, uh, Dr. Colbert um, uh, from that. They took from the photo booth. So you'll know exactly what we're talking about. My own, <laughs> I was a little bit, I thought they could have changed that, that picture in between um, in between the episodes, every time the barcode popped up, it was just mm-hmm. the same picture over and over again. Particularly at the end, after after the second episode, it said it said to take one last photo, and it was the same photo. I thought they were going to be different frames or different pictures, but they were all the same regardless of what when you took it. But that was mm-hmm. cool. it, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe Photo Booth 2.0 uh, when they do yeah. this again in the future will be a little bit better. At least they offered a lot of different options. So if you didn't want to sit and watch interviews or you didn't want to just sit and listen to music, you could you could choose what you wanted to do. I thought that was very right. creative. Right. And also like if you weren't yeah. if you were in the chat, they'd say like, Oh, did you see the red alert in the other stage or whatever? And so you could go over there because some not it apparently didn't go at the same time across all four rooms. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I um I, I enjoyed I really enjoyed Sneeko Martin Green's fireside chat. She was very personable, very open, very friendly, very cordial. Tilly was cracking me up. Uh, I thought she was a riot. I love I love her anyways, but I thought she was a riot because she was sitting there with her husband who was off camera, and she kept talking to him and looking at him off camera. I don't know if she thought he was there, but um, I thought she was a riot. Uh, Doug Jones Maybe she talking about how to give the per- yeah, I, yeah. Doug Jones talking about how to give the perfect hug. I thought uh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. When we oh, can. And, and uh, the, stories I've, the stories I've heard yeah. at the Birdwood Trek Convention is the biggest hugger at Star Trek Las Vegas may very well be Doug Jones. Mm-hmm. Doug Jones? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was that was fun. The first time I saw him at a convention, this was not a Star Trek convention, I didn't know who he was because I just didn't. But, like, somebody wore one of his costumes from a different movie, and he came around and started hugging him like, okay. So now every time I see him, like, I know that's what he does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He gets so excited. Well, I was going to say he doesn't recognize his face because he's always in a costume, right? I, think right, that, I, I didn't uh, know who he was. <laughs> That's right. And I, I feel like as a Star Trek fan, I've seen all these mm-hmm. movies with Doug Jones in them, but I never knew what he looked like until he came to Star Trek. That's when I well, was the like, one oh, that, this is the had, guy who was in Pan's Labyrinth uh, and all these other movies that I love. Okay, yeah, yeah, somebody somebody wore a costume that was literally seven feet tall. I don't know how they got it into the convention center, you know, like with <laughs> wings and everything. And, and he was so impressed. He's like, oh, my God, I got to get a picture with you to the to the fan. It's like, you're so funny. That's awesome. We have a caller. We have a caller oh, on okay. the line here. I wanna I, I wanna answer the phone and, and see who we have here. Let me 
See if I can get the mic. Come on, connect. Doug connect. Jones. There we go. <laughs> it's Doug Jones. Hey, good evening. Thank you for calling Truck Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hi, my name is David. I'm calling from Portland. Hey, hey David. David. What's hey. going on, buddy? Hi, I'm pretty good. Uh, been listening to you guys. I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have been there now. <laughs> it, it was fun. It, it was fun. <laughs> really enjoyable. I, I, I liked when uh, Stamets was talking about the cat, and he didn't get an opportunity to act with the cat, but he was shadowing <laughs> right. Jonathan Frakes, who does episode three, and obviously the cat is in that episode because that was the only interaction that that Stamets, well, that, that the actor had with the cat, Anthony Rapp, was <laughs> Wilson not Cruz. Yeah. So um, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a blast, well, and I hope they do that more. Mm-hmm. Well, my guess, my guess is that because the reason he was shadowing is the same thing that uh, another Star Trek actor did. Is they're shadowing because they want to go into directing. Directing. Well, I think a lot of them have. You know, we have, uh, I forgot his name, Tom yeah. Paris. We have Will Wheaton. We have all these people yeah. who, yeah. Yeah, Anthony Rapp's got a pretty pretty good body of work under his belt already, and so it feels like a natural move for him to go to directing. That that feels like that would work really well to me. But I was going to make a comment about Doug Jones, where he said Mm -hmm. that one of the reasons he really loves to interact with fans and actually work on matching his, his creatures is most of his creatures are so well detailed. You know that person did a lot of work to create that costume or that cosplay. Mm -hmm. And he just loves interacting with those people because it's such a hard work to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So we we have just, we we got close to eight minutes left. We can go over a little bit if we need to, but Mm -hmm. um, we did get to see the first two episodes. And we're going to be talking about about the, the episode that aired today next week. So we're going to talk about all of that next week. But what I do want oh. to talk about, no no spoilers, I but I, I do want to talk about what did you guys think about the episode itself The the without talking about the story or particulars? How did you feel after watching it? Did you think it was worth the wait? Um, well, what did you think, Shannon? Okay, I'm going to go with yes, okay? And also, the reason I love Star Trek is Star Trek, to me, has always been a hopeful version of the future. And I've always been in a Trek for the last four or five years. I've really gotten into it. And so this episode just, like, reaffirmed my belief in Star Trek and all that's good in Star Trek. And that's not a spoiler. That, it just does. So, but that's, that's I watched it twice, and I, the second time I got more emotional. So I'm just saying <laughs> I, I've only watched it twice. I have to watch it again before next week's show because there was, there was so much information thrown at us that I have to sit yeah. down with a, with a pad and write some of these things down so I don't well, get to talk about totally, them next week on the show. Yeah. When I watched it like an hour ago, I was like, oh, I missed that. Oh, I missed that. Because <laughs> it was very fast. Yeah, there was, yeah. And how about you? What did you think, Charles? Oh, it was... 
disadvantage of actually getting a chance to see this one. It's like, okay, it answered quite a few good questions in mm-hmm. it, and it created brand new questions. And it was just, <clears throat> wow, okay, this is going to be another good season. Yes, I know a lot of people say, oh, you guys just blindly love Discovery. No, it's not blindly love Discovery. I like the storyline that they've been creating. I think it's going to be another good season. And how about you, Eric? Yeah, I would say this episode is definitely, it's fast-paced. There's a lot of information that comes to you. It's got some fantastic action. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think Shannon hit the nail on the head because, for me, the overarching feeling when this thing was over was that I was just happy. I was just giddy with happiness. Mm -hmm. I felt like episode really, I mean, as much as I love seasons one and two of Discovery, this one felt like a little bit of a different animal to me. It it felt more optimistic. Mm -hmm. Um, There was some really goofy stuff that made me laugh out loud, like hardcore, which I love when Star Trek makes me laugh. Um, so, yeah, I it was one of my favorite premieres that I've personally seen um, just because it just made me feel so good, you know? I loved it. And I just – and the, and the it, Charles is right. It answers some questions, um, but it shows a story. It kind of lays out the, the way the story is going to be for the season, and uh, it's going to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk well, about it next week in great detail. Um, more than mm-hmm. we're we're dancing around it here, but we will mm-hmm. talk about it more. I just want to say that 18 months is a long time to wait for Star Trek. I love yeah. Lower Decks. I think it's great, but this has real live Star Trek has a different feel to it to me than animation does. As much as I mm-hmm. love Lower yeah. Decks, and it kind of it filled that hole. It wasn't like seeing Michael Burnham and Saru and Tilly all back on my screen again, like like saying hello to old friends. And um, yeah. it was just spectacular. And one of the things also that I noticed that jumped right in my face, I noticed, and I wanted to throw this out there, is that part of the thing that made us wait so long for this episode was the post-production, the special effects, and the CGI. Mm-hmm. And oh, when you watch so this good. episode... <laughs> You will know why we had to wait 18 months to see it. Oh my gosh! Because, you guys, oh my god! Never, oh my god! Oh my god! I've never seen special effects like this. It's just unbelievable. It was like well, I was crying. Just, I was like, "This looks so uh, cool." Okay. Well, they have to put the tech 930 years ahead, and I'm like, "Oh my god, that's awesome! I love that tech. That is awesome." So, yeah. Yeah. The tech yeah. Well, so I was stuff that, that we've never seen before because this is a new world. The special effects were phenomenal. The CGI, the backgrounds, the environment filming on location mm-hmm. especially was incredible. And yeah. it was yeah. well, I keep telling people on our Facebook page it, that haven't seen it yet, or maybe they live in a part of the world where they won't see it for a day or two, it's mm-hmm. well worth the wait. Yeah. Trust me. There's one thing, though. The yeah, there's, there's one thing that's, which mm-hmm. I didn't do today. When You need to go back and watch his short trek. So, oh, I just lost the episode name. The one where they go in the future. Calypso. 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 I did not watch it again today. It's probably a good idea. 
because yeah. I know I'm missing stuff. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't have to watch it before, but, you, you know, you're going to want a little bit of a tie-in, I think. Spoiler alert. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 will, we, will, we will delve into that pretty sure next week, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, we, mm-hmm. we will talk about that. Well, I don't, um, I don't want to spoil where they were shooting at. But a couple of the actresses made comments, a few people made comments yeah. of what they didn't see when they were shooting right. on scene. It's like, oh, okay, now yeah, and, I understand where they're at. Wow. Yeah, and how alien it looked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Really it, it was something we hadn't really seen on Star Trek before. It just it mm-hmm. looked good. It, had, it felt like a movie. Me. Right, and that wasn't and CGI. That was actually the where they were. That was, <laughs> right. that was where they were. And, and if you took, I think that, and I don't think I'm spoiling anything for anybody when I say this, I think that if you take episode one and episode two and maybe mm-hmm. episode three, which we haven't seen yet, I think if you put mm-hmm. those together, it's like a mini movie, kind of like they did with Picard, with the first three episodes of Picard. Yeah. I think the three of them mm-hmm. are going to bookend together to tell the first chapters of this bigger story. That's what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like one yeah. of the things so. that they've already kind of talked about was that there was there was a Michael Burnham story and there's a Discovery mm-hmm. story. And you get that over two episodes, and that is not unlike an A and a B story that you would get in a typical episode of Star Trek. Maybe. Uh, you know, so so I think those first three, you're right, Jim, it's like an A B story that then coalesce at the end. Very Star Trek. Yeah, act one, I, act and, two, act three, there yeah. And act three. Yeah. Because when mm-hmm. episode one ends, I'm like I'm like, What? No, what? <laughs> and then episode episode no! two, which we got to see already, it just it just kinda like flows right along and I and I think episode three will be the same way. And if you put those all together, I think it's going to tell one big story. And that's what I really liked about it. But guess what, guys? We are out of time. Hard to believe. But we are. Um, I want to send out a huge thank you to Ben Robinson, who joined us from the U.K. tonight. Thank you so much, Ben, for taking the time to talk to us. Tell us about the new uh, Star Trek Voyager. What, what did he? Uh, the Compendium Encyclopedia. What, the, what was it called? What was it? Um, uh, yeah, it was. It was like an encyclopedia. I don't remember the title, but it was like an encyclopedia. Yeah. Dude, and we're notes. definitely going to have to. We'll get our hands on that and review that. So thank you very much to Ben for hanging out with us from the UK tonight and Trek talking with us. Thank you, Ben. And of course, David, we really appreciate you uh, hanging out and talking with us tonight, even though we. We couldn't say much, but next Sorry. week we the zippers will next week the zippers will be off, David, and then we can tell you everything. So thank you for calling and listening to us tonight, David. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I just got one question though: Is the broadcast mm-hmm. next week going to happen at an hour before, or is it going to be at the same time? It'll be at the same time. Uh, the only time we okay. had, the only reason we had to move it up is because uh, Ben is in the UK and there's a five hour time difference, so it's actually 11:30 at night there. So by moving it up an hour, we moved it up to 10:30 for him. So, but next week Aww. we'll be right back to our usual time. <laughs> so okay. yeah, this was just just cool. to accommodate Ben. Yep, we'll be back at 7:30 next week. And Shannon, 
Wow, thank you yes. for calling and thank you for hanging out with us in the virtual party and premiere last night. It was a blast. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you all got to come this time. I know some of you came last time to Picard, but this time I got to see all of you all. <laughs> we, and I, I, awesome. I want to... I'm wondering if there's a way we can do that while we do this show. I have to talk with Charles and Eric and Steve. I don't know if we can do that. Um, like do a video while we're talking? I'm not, yeah, I don't know if we can, if that'll work because uh, if I, I don't know. I don't know if my computer can broadcast two things simultaneously. I don't know if that'll work. You know what? We'll I mean, I keep in PJs when show. I call in. That's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get together with with uh, Charles and Eric, and we'll we'll do a test show and see okay. if we can make it work. Because if we can make that work, then uh, maybe we'll do a video just for our patrons, and then uh, mm-hmm. the rest of the people just have to listen to our voices. We'll see if we can make that work. But that was definitely <laughs> fun. And uh, and I want to say thank you to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us and and Yay. for attending the premiere with us. It, it was a blast, Eric. Oh my gosh, I had so much fun, and it was great to have all of you guys there. Yeah, it was it was good times. So thank you so much. It was a lot of fun, and of course, last mm-hmm. but not least, my right hand man himself, Charles. Thank you very much, Charles. It was a blast. Oh, thank you. Always fun talking trash. And I just want to let you guys know that on Halloween night, uh, Friday the thirty first at seven thirty p.m. Charles and myself are, be, are going to be doing the Halloween Spooktacular, your soundtrack to Halloween. Yeah. And we have a lot of great music to play for you guys, some movie themes from some of your favorite movies and TV shows, some creepy stuff that maybe you haven't heard in a while, some funny okay. stuff from Halloween songs. And, of course, what would Halloween be without Thriller and Ghostbusters, the old go-tos, yeah. of course. And... Uh, We're just going to hang out on Halloween night and play some music and have some fun. So that'll be Saturday night, October 31st, right here, same bat time, same bat channel. You guys can tune in and uh, just listen to the songs that we've picked or give us a call and tell us what you're doing on Halloween night. Just hang out with us. We'd love to have you. Please visit us on our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. Like and follow us so that you never miss a show. Head over to blog talk radio backslash Trek talking and follow us there. That way you'll get email alerts every time we schedule a show because we do a lot of shows and we've got stunt tracks at myself and Leslie Hoffman on Sunday. We got book nook, which we do once a month. We have comic corner, which we do once a month. And then we throw in special ones that, that come and go that we, we, we really don't schedule. They just kind of happen. And if you want to get all the lowdown and never miss a show, the best way to do that is to like and follow us at blog talk radio black slash Shrek talking. And that's all I've got to say for tonight. I had a great time. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you guys listening around the globe. We really appreciate it. As I say, every, every week, Star Trek fans are the best fans. You better believe it. So with that, I want to tell everybody to be good to each other and stay safe. Hailing frequencies are closed. We'll see you next Thursday. Good night, everybody. Good night. night. Go long and prosper. Good night. Can we go already? Yes, fine. Engage.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.